Thank you, worship team. I'm going to read the passage for this morning. It's found in Luke chapter 12. If you'll turn in your Bibles to that passage, Luke chapter 12, we're looking at the parable of the rich fool. Uh, And as Paul has been going through the Gospels and trying to see and encounter Jesus, that is uh, the effort here this morning as well. We're going to see Jesus encounter him through the telling of this parable and learn many things about Jesus and our our own lives as well. So Luke chapter 12, um, we're going to start in verse 13. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's word. Beginning in 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Amen. You may be seated. Let's take a few moments to reflect on God's word. Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is David Heinrichs, one of the pastors here at Christ Community Church. I work with the middle school, high school, the music ministry, uh, and other places at the church. Um, But obviously, I am not Paul Phillips or the senior pastor. He's taking a break this morning uh, from preaching. So I'll be delivering the message, uh, and I hope that this message really starts the Advent season off on the right foot, in the right mindset. Uh, It will bring at some point conviction, but there is so much encouragement in this parable, and I think you'll see that and hopefully take that with you uh, this morning. Uh, The the title of the sermon is Rich Toward God. We want to be rich toward God. That's the theme of this parable. We don't want to be just merely rich towards ourselves. 
but we want to be rich toward God. If you've ever watched the TV series The Office, which I think many of us have, now that I'm talking about the American one, uh, you know that 90% of the punchlines in that TV series is getting off topic from the main thing. The main thing, they're there in a paper company trying to sell paper, but they have Office, poly, uh, office Olympics, uh, staff development meetings, with prison Mike, <laughs> practical jokes abound, and complicated romances. None of those relate to the selling of paper, the reason they're there, and that's what makes that show so funny. Everyone is off topic. That is this man that comes and speaks to Jesus before he tells his parable. He jumps off the page as a completely irrelevant person, We started in verse 13, and to you and me, when we read this, we think, okay, surely this man, there's some kind of connection to what Jesus was saying before or trajectory out of that or some kind of context that will help us. But if you go back and you see what Jesus was saying, he was preaching about salvation, about heaven, about the Holy Spirit, about spiritual things. And this man comes in and blurts this out totally off topic. And it makes you laugh seeing it. And he says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What a materialistic mind. It's not hard to figure this man out, is it? We, he can't wait for Jesus to stop talking about heaven and salvation and the Holy Spirit and forgiveness and to get to the really good stuff. No interest in spiritual things is apparent at all. He just can't wait for Jesus to get on his subject. He doesn't care about the Son of Man recognizing him before God. And if you go back, that's really what Jesus is saying. No, he's he's into earth. And he's not embarrassed. He's not ashamed. He's driven by an overwhelming zeal for materialism. It's consumed him. And he doesn't ask Jesus, the teacher, a question for clarification. He commands Jesus, teacher, tell my brother. I want you to use your authority to come alongside my authority and make things go my way. This is the definition of taking the Lord's name in vain. It's like him saying, I want to use God's name, God's power, an authority greater than mine to strengthen my own ambitions. Teacher, tell my brother. Well, Jesus flatly rejects this man's request to be legal aid, turns it down, and then he turns to the crowd and he tells the parable of the rich fool. And it's packed with so much goodness for us. It really is. It feels convicting, but there is encouragement. What I'd like to do this morning with this parable is I'd like to look at just three brief observations that set up the context for the rich fool. Um, So three observations. I want to look at two mistakes that he makes. And then finally, one final solution to the problem we see. So first, three simple observations kind of to set up the context of this parable. First, This man in the parable 
is you. It's very difficult to say that because it's me too. But it is. It's you. This is us. We often don't see our own greed. And we think, that, that can't be me. This man, his greed, his selfishness is exaggerated. And really what we see here is that it's not an exaggeration. What it is, is it's the revelation of secret thoughts that the man didn't intend anyone else to hear. These are the truly honest thoughts we have that we hide. And if God were to make your secret thoughts audible, I wonder what would happen to you. But that's our default. What this man thinks is what you and I think. The sinful nature drives us to ourselves, to take care of ourselves. Our daily prayers default on ourself, asking God to come alongside me. First person you look at when you see a group photo that you're in, you look for yourself. The first thought you have when you get extra money, you. So this man in the parable is you. I'm including myself in that. But I don't want you to think, oh, that's, that's my rich Uncle Bob or the billionaires that live out there somewhere. This is us. Number two observation, the money we're talking about here in this parable is surplus. It's above the need. It's surplus. It's, this parable is not an indictment on all forms of savings. This man is a rich landowner before his land produces plentifully. He was rich before. And so the huge crop that comes is clearly surplus. God has already given this man everything he needs, but the crop is way above that need, and it's surplus. So Jesus is really talking about surplus. So many read this parable as an indictment against all savings, retirement plans, or even insurance, any way that you might put money up in a storage place for future well-being, for future provision. Of, but savings, it's pretty obvious, savings is essential for any large purchase that you have. And these things could very well be in the center of your need category, a car, a home to live in, a college tuition. These are in the need category. You need these things. And so obviously savings for those things is not what Jesus is talking about here. Um, We are not like the ancient Israelites. Back in those days, you lived with your eldest son until the day you died, and your son took care of you. You lived in that household. Now, our kids leave our homes, our nuclear homes, and they go off and get married, leaving us at 75, uh, unemployed, with no income. So obviously, we need a plan for that. We need some money to be able to take care of us when we can't work. And those are 401ks. This parable is not criminalizing saving for the future, but saving the surplus for ourselves. Number three, observation. The grain represents not just food. The grain really is generalized to time, energy, and money. All of the limited resources that we have access to, that we try to manage in our life, 
and we can get a surplus of each of those things. We can get an extra measure of time, energy, and money. Um, if you look at this, this um, statement that he makes when this rich man sits back after his barns are built, he says, I'm going to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. These are expressions of energy expenditure. In other words, I'm going to relax. I'm not going to work. I'm going to be merry. In other words, I'm going to spend my time doing frivolous fun things that I've always wanted to do and I'd never had time for. You see, that's, it's more than just food. It's time, energy, and money. So if you're looking at this parable and you're saying, I'm out, I'm not a millionaire, so this parable obviously does not apply to me. I might be a fool, but I'm no rich fool. I'm a poor fool. That's not true. You have time. You have energy. And yes, you do have some money. So this really does apply to you in that context. So those are the three observations. Now let's go into this rich fool's mistakes. He makes two major mistakes that once you see it, it's clear. The, the two mistakes is he doesn't see the source. The second mistake is this rich fool doesn't see the purpose of the surplus time, energy, and money that God has given him. He doesn't see the source, and he doesn't see the purpose. So let's look at the source first. He doesn't see the source. Now, last, uh, of course, we just had Thanksgiving last Thursday. Um, and if you're thankful, uh, you, you have to thank someone. Sometimes in our culture, you see this a lot. You see this on social media or the expressions of celebrities. They do this sometimes. They say, I'm so grateful, grateful for where I'm at. But they don't actually identify the person or being that they're grateful to. It's just a statement, I'm grateful, right? And, and they don't articulate who it is. But if you're, if you're grateful, if you're thankful, there has to be someone you're grateful to. And it may be a person or a collection of people but ultimately, if you go back to the very first cause of the universe, it's God. It's always God. God's divine providence is at work. You might have heard that word, providence. It really is a term in theology that means that God is working out of his sovereignty to continually uphold guide and care for his creation. God is the original cause of everything in your life that happens. Now, one clear consequence for believing in divine providence and God's sovereignty is seeing luck as a myth. It's not real. There's no such thing as good fortune. There's no source of events however surprising or unstable they seem at the present time, that is outside of the will of Almighty God, who, as Ephesians 1.11 says, works all things according to the counsel of his will. James, in James 4, he says, he cautions us not to think that the present events are subject to our own will. He says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live or do this or do that. So God made the land. God gave the land to the man. God made the seeds, the dirt, the rain. God gave the rich man intelligence and physical strength to work the field. God sprouted the seeds and made the crops to grow. Of course, the farmer had a hand in it, yes. But within, 
the bounds of God's sovereignty and his divine providence. It's kind of like an aquarium. That's where we live. And it's a huge aquarium. And inside that aquarium, God controls everything. And you work and you do this and you make that decision, but it's within God's divine providence. And so when the surplus comes, we must stop and thank God. That is the first big mistake that this rich fool makes. He misses it. He never sees God as the source. He never thanks God. In fact, this man saw no one else other than himself that should take credit. But listen to how subtle Jesus is in confronting this man's greed. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. The land produced plentifully. See, it wasn't the man. He's he's pushing the man off and saying the land produced plentifully. God did that. That's how subtle it is. But here is where this man's ungratefulness takes him. Look at verse 17. And he thought to himself. This is the result of of not having gratitude towards God. Self-talk. It's like a little recording playing in your head, a private conversation that no one else hears, the secret conversations you have. What is your self-talk like? What do you say to yourself in private? Is it anything like this man? It takes courage to face that question. We see a pattern throughout everything this ungrateful man says. Look at verse 17, I'll read. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops, he said, and I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and then I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Twelve times this man refers to himself. Twelve times, I, I, my, I, I, my. It's annoying, actually, when you see it. Over and over again, it's clearly all this man is thinking about. And Jesus is bringing that up. And it sounds like an exaggeration. But record your private conversations and look at them. They're very similar. They are. You know, it's, it's my credit, my wealth. I made my own life. We just get off. We forget God. We forget. It's, we just forget. The world around us has definitely forgotten God. You hear motivational speeches or, or inspirational quotes from various people. You read them on social media all the time, and you think, yeah, yeah, I like the way that sounds. I heard one, read one recently from Muhammad Ali. He said, uh, if my mind can conceive it and my heart can believe it, then I can achieve it. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That, 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 let's do this. Let's get up and go. But in the context of God's sovereignty, you've forgotten God in that statement. I've read this. All you have to do is think it, feel it, and then just do it. Or this one. Believe in yourself and you will be unstoppable. How does God confront this rich fool? He stops him. You rich fool, tonight, your life is required of you. 
He is not unstoppable. The truth is, God was there all along, providing, providing, providing. Now, the surplus, the land produced this surplus of crops. But even before that, this man was rich. He had land, and he could have said, yes, my father gave it to me, and I'm going to thank my father. But if you go back even after just having the land, if you go back all the way, well, where did this man's land eventually come from? His, his father and the, his father's father and then his father's father's father, etc. All the way back to where Israel took possession of Canaan back when Joshua came in and conquered the land. Okay, so I'm going to thank Joshua then. Now I'm going to thank my, my, my father, my grandfather, etc. all the way back. And then the man can say, I'm going to thank Joshua. Is, is, that, is that right? No, he's forgetting God. Listen to the words written in Joshua 10. Joshua said to them, this is right when the conquering was happening. He said to them, do not be afraid or discouraged. Be strong and courageous. And here it is. For the Lord will conquer all the enemies you fight. Yes, your, your sword is in your hand and you're rushing into battle. Yes, you're the farmer working the land. You go to work and you work hard. Yes, you effort, you have a lot of effort. But in the end, Joshua sits back and makes the statement, the Lord will do it. Jo- Joshua 24, he repeats it. Joshua told everyone to listen to this message from the Lord, the God of Israel. You didn't have to work for this land. I gave it to you. That's what this rich fool totally misses. And then Joshua told the people, worship the Lord, obey him, and always be faithful. Worship the Lord, meaning be grateful for what the, like, acknowledge God. Don't forget him. And so I'm in the last passage on this, on this subject. Deuteronomy 8 is so good. Deuteronomy 8.10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, this is to Israel, as they possess the land and they take their first steps as a nation, with the land that they've been given, the promised land. When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large, your silver and gold increases and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have alone produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Isn't that great? That is such an encouragement. He forgets God. Let's not forget God. There's one real important facet here that is troubling to us when we forget God. This is what happens. I get a lot of surplus into my bank account. I I have a lot now. And I think to myself, this is only going to happen once. It can't happen again. Therefore, I must take it and hold on to it. Because if I get rid of it, if I give it away, it's never going to happen again. But what these passages are telling us is God made you rich once. He can make you rich a second time and a third time. He he can give you daily bread every day. He can keep on giving. God can keep on doing it again and again and again. So when we forget to thank God as the source, we tighten the control of our surplus. So let us not forget God. Let's 
thank God. Second mistake he makes, he doesn't see God's purpose. And this follows, when you're not grateful, you, you end up not seeing the source's purpose, God's purpose for the surplus, right? You just miss that. So he says, I will store all my grain and my goods. Now that seems like an indictment on savings, as I mentioned before, right? But it's not. Who is he storing it for? Himself. That's, that's the answer he has. Himself. I want to relax, drink, and be merry. My surplus is for me. And what a waste that is on him. Wasted energy. Just relax. Don't work anymore. The land is not worked anymore. There are no more crops produced from this man's land. As if there's no need in the world. But there's no need in this man. That's different. But the land relaxes. He relaxes. No more work. All the energy that God gave this man is wasted. Wasted time. Being merry. Spending your time on frivolous, fun activities. Fun is all you're looking for. Being entertained. Being served. Being pampered. No suffering. You're not learning. You're not growing. That is not how God designed your life. Look at the wasted money. When when you put your surplus to yourself... You tear down old barns. They were perfectly good. They just weren't big enough. That's waste. You build new barns. That's waste. Useless spending. And the rich fool's surplus is wasted. Now, if this man were to thank the source, he were to thank God, notice what might happen. He might begin to discover that the things that he has they're not only given by God, but owned, but owned by God. They're given to me on loan. And since God gave it to me, and I don't need the surplus, God must have another purpose for it. So, when you look at your surplus, just remember, when you thank God, you move into God owns this surplus He doesn't give up ownership of time, energy, and money when he gives it to you to manage. God owns it all. We're managers. The clue, um, what should we do at this point? What should we actually do with our our surplus? The clue is in God's words to the rich fool. Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And here it is. And the things you've prepared, whose will it be? Do you hear that? Not yours. I'm going to take your surplus, and by the way, because your life is required of you, I'm going to take all of your resources. Whose will they, they'll be? That's what Jesus is asking. Whose will they, they'll be? Others. That's the intended target of it anyways. And so God's original plan of providing for others is not thwarted. It's amazing to me as you think about God providing for the needs of the people in our city, in our community, who who are impoverished. God could raise wealth individually in each of their lives, but he doesn't. He gives money to you and me to funnel to them. Time, energy, and money, not just money. These are supposed to be things that flow out of us. You know, there is another biblical character who built great barn houses and stored seven years of surplus, things they didn't need in the present. Do you remember this? This is Joseph. 
and the seven years of plenty in Egypt. It wasn't wrong for him to build barn houses. It's not wrong to, for him to have surplus because Joseph knew God's purpose for that surplus. It's the seven years of famine, and he was redistributing that wealth. He was giving it away or selling it. <laughs> but who, what is God intending for our wealth? That's our question this morning. Individually, for our surplus, for our time, energy, and money, and also as a church, as we look at our budget and we see a surplus in the budget or we see a gift of Trinity, used to be called Trinity, now called CCC Wilshire, These gifts are coming into the church, and we need to think as a congregation, as a leadership, we need to think, what is God doing? It certainly isn't for us to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. It is. It has a purpose on it. And if we can't see the need it meets in our presence, we need to think about what God is doing outside of us. And there is a real scary part. There's a real nervousness we might have about talking about surplus money, isn't there? Money enter into a conversation is like blood in the water. You know, the sharks come out. This is like volatility and, you know, disagreement and discord among us. We don't have to be that way. There is a, a problem of just being scared about talking about the surplus and getting off and fighting about that. But but this problem has a solution, and that's my last point of this morning. The solution I call the fire triangle. Um, you, you might have heard of this fire triangle. It's a simple model for understanding how a fire is, ignites and, and burns. The triangle illustrates three elements that are essential, that are necessary uh, to keep the fire going. Heat, fuel, and oxygen. If you have those three things, I, I understand that the fire will ignite and will keep burning. In the same way, our conversation together as Christians, your conversation about your individual surplus that you have in your own uh, personal accounts, th- they need three things that are absolutely essential to keep you from going astray, from keeping you from really getting off track like the rich fool was. And there really are two questions that we need to address. First, where's the line between need and surplus? It's not easy. I'm buying a new car. I have, I have 10 options. One costs 3000 and one costs 30000 or 50 or 60 these days. Which one do I buy? Which one is the wise one? Which is my need? Where's the line? Right? It's so difficult. And, and, and the second idea is, well, okay, wh- whatever the surplus is, what do we do with it? Do I just give it away? Just give all of my money away to the church and just say, I'm done? Or is there another way to do that? So we need these three things in your life, keeping in balance to have these conversations and to make sure that you're following God the way that he wants to. And I'll mention them. First, it's the people of God. Second, the word of God. And third, the, uh, the spirit of God. Let me get through this real quick. First, people of God, no decision is ever made in isolation. The self-talk is the rich fool's destruction, right? Self-talk is not helpful. Bring it up. Bring it out. Let's talk about this together with trusted friends and mentors. Um, You can't see your own greed. It's very difficult to see your own greed. Tim Keller says that of all the seven deadly sins, no one really comes forward and confesses, I'm a greedy person. It's just something you don't see in yourself. There's a blind spot. So let's commit to ask this question together. Second word of God. If the people were the only source, it would be endless fighting. 
We need the word of God to ground us in where God is moving and what God's heart really is beating for. So let's stay connected to the word of God. And then finally, the spirit of God. The spirit comes and between the disagreements and in the scriptures and holds us humble and full of love and generosity. The spirit of truth comes and guides us into all truth, Jesus says. So finally, be thankful to God. That's, that's my main point. Be thankful to God. He is the source. And then watch what God wants to do with your surplus. Keep the fire triangle active, the word of God, the people of God, the spirit of God. And this is the question I leave us with. Where is your surplus going? A gift to a missionary, helping the poor, funding a medical clinic, a tutoring program, investing in a new building. That might be something we think about. Blessing a startup church, planting a new church, giving gifts to unbelievers to demonstrate God's love, starting a new ministry that aims at helping a demographic that cannot give back. How can we give and invest away from us? That's the question Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to China, said. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's provision. Let's pray. God, as we consider these things, help us to not be like the rich fool. Help us to remember the source that you are the giver of all of these things. The very breath we breathe, the energy we have, the time we have. And we want to say thank you. Father God, I pray that you would help us to discern the line between need and surplus. Help us to understand that correctly. And then God, show us your will for the surplus. Where does it go? Who should receive it? We need this wisdom. We pray for that all in Christ's name. Amen.